All right, so in our current sermon series, we are focusing on the story of Jesus as it is told in the Gospel of Mark. And we are going through uh, Mark, and we'll be preaching on selected uh, passages that tell key parts of the story as we move through the, the book of Mark over these next uh, several weeks. Um, and we have these guides available. Uh, they're back there at the back next to where the Journey Group catalogs are, little guides that show you the dates and what passage we'll be preaching on. And they also have on there which section of Mark you ought to read each week to keep up with kind of where we are in the gospel there. Because um, if you look at the list, you'll notice that we are skipping over way more than what we're actually covering in the sermons. Uh, for instance, this week, the reading is for chapters 4 and 5 from the Gospel of Mark, and our sermon is on six verses from chapter 4. So all the rest of that material, there's a lot of good stuff in there. You should be reading that stuff so that you can understand the context of the, the section that I'm talking about here today, and so that you can just get the fuller picture of the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, and so that'll be really helpful for everyone as you uh, do that reading list, and you'll be able to get the most out of the, the sermons and, uh, and also um, uh, just benefit from, from your reading. So uh, there's also, right now, I'm going to do a little pop quiz. For those of you who had that chart from the last couple of weeks and have been doing the reading, Here's, and I have a prize to be won. So uh, raise your hand when you know the answer, and I'll try to see who raises their hand first. But uh, here's the question. In chapter 5, who can tell me what kind of animals are prominently featured in a story in chapter 5? Greg Moody. Pigs. Pigs, that's right. You win. <laughs> If you didn't know that, I encourage you to do the reading next week so that you'll be ready for, in, just in case, there might be another pop quiz or another cool prize to be won. But, um, but uh, even if there isn't a quiz, I'm not making any promises here, but you'll still have the benefit of having read the word and learned from it. So, so I really encourage you to read chapter six between now and next week when Pastor Mike will have a sermon from a story from chapter six. But for, day, for today, we're going to be looking at a section from chapter 4, where we get a sample of Jesus teaching a crowd of people down by the lakeshore. Um, that's what he did a lot of the time. He'd go down by the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the Lake of Galilee, and he would teach on the beach. And as we saw in the introduction to Mark back in chapter 1, the main topic of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. And today we're going to look at two parables that Jesus used to teach key ideas about the kingdom of God. But before we do that, uh, let me just summarize the basic idea of what the kingdom of God is. And we talked about this some in the, the first sermon of this series. So if you missed that, you should go back and listen to it on, uh, on the web or on your phone if you've got the app. And, um, and while we're talking about those electronic things, uh, you should also be following us on Instagram and Facebook so that you can keep up with all the stuff that's on there. But anyway, uh, the basic idea of the kingdom of God, as we talked about back then, the kingdom of God is the reign of God. The kingdom of God exists wherever God is in control. 
In other words, uh, wherever it is being done on earth as it is in heaven, that is where the kingdom of God is. And that can be true for, uh, for individual people and also for groups and organizations. So if you have given control of your life to God, the kingdom of God is in you. Now, of course, none of us lives completely under God's control at every moment of our lives. We all uh, struggle to uh, submit uh, to God to some extent. But as we mature in our faith and we learn to live more and more according to God's will, every time you conform more of your thinking and your values and your actions to Christ's teaching and example, the kingdom of heaven is present in your life. And it's not just for individuals. As I said, groups and organizations can also be part of the kingdom of God. As your family conforms more to God's will, the kingdom of God is there. As our church conforms more to the ways of God, the kingdom grows in us. And in any institution that has chosen to submit to God's rule, the kingdom of God is there to the extent that they actually follow God's direction. So the basic idea of the kingdom is that it's that it's wherever God is ruling, wherever God's in control, that's the kingdom of God. But Jesus did quite a bit of teaching explaining more of the detail of the kingdom, uh, what it is and how it works. And our parables today are part of that teaching about the kingdom of God. And so here we are in uh, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26. It says, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Now, as soon as I introduce it like that, you all think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this parable. This is the one where he scatters the seed and then there's diff different types of soil and it grows different amounts. No, this is a very similar parable, but that one is actually in the same chapter here in Mark, um, the one that we all uh, know about. But this is a different parable that has very similar imagery of scattering seed, but makes a different point that Jesus told uh, at a different time. So here it is. He says, uh, a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, the meaning of that parable and what it has to do with the kingdom of God is not very obvious the first time you read it. Um, it seems to be a simple explanation of basic farming, right? Uh, what does this tell us about the kingdom of God? Well, this shows how parables, uh, by their very nature, they require thought and processing in order to figure out what they mean, which is part of why Jesus told parables. He wanted people to have to think about it and apply themselves in order to get the meaning. So let's think through this uh, very short little story here. It says, a man scatters seed on the ground. Now, just a few verses back, as I mentioned then, that other parable uh, Jesus explains that the seed that was scattered on the ground was the message of the kingdom. And it does make really good sense to see the same uh, meaning in this particular parable, that the, the seed is the message of the kingdom that is being spread around. 
So the first part of the story uh, is, is not too hard to understand. The word of the gospel is going out, and people are hearing it. And then it says, the farmer doesn't do anything else. It says, whether he sleeps or gets up, night and day, the process of growth in the seed happens all by itself. The farmer not only doesn't make it happen, he doesn't even know how it happens. Uh, all he knows is scatter seed, come back later, harvest the crop. Um, and that's the part of the parable that contains the main point, because that's the part that's being overemphasized by Jesus, that non-involvement of the farmer in the growth. Um, and, and it's being overemphasized for a reason. The kingdom has something in common with this farming story in which the farmer does very little, and the seed does its job without his involvement. Now, that point seems a little bit different and contrary to uh, one of the more common points that the Bible teaches about the growth of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we tend to emphasize more. See, we often read things like this exchange from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus has a discussion with someone, and it says, Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. See, the emphasis there is that we must make every effort. And that's quite a different idea from the farmer who doesn't do anything, right? And the seed just grows all by itself. He doesn't even know what's happening. And another time, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, some years later, wrote this in, in uh, the book of uh, 1 Peter. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. This is saying that if we want to see God's rule growing in our lives, if we want to see an increase in our faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and the rest, then we are instructed to make every effort to grow. So what is Jesus saying then in this parable with the seed that grows all by itself? Well, um... This uh, idea of the seed growing by itself is really true for all kinds of aspects of the kingdom. We've just been talking about kind of personalizing it, but the Bible tells us that we need to work hard and put in the effort to see the kingdom of God expand, not just in our own lives, but all around the world. So what, we, what do we learn from this parable that emphasizes our non-involvement in the mysterious growth of the kingdom? Well, here's what Jesus' point is. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say the growth of the kingdom is not all about your effort and your skill as a farmer. God is the one who is establishing his kingdom in our hearts and in our world. Now, clearly the Bible does teach that we need to put forth effort, right? But it's not all up to you. In fact, it's not mainly up to you. 
Theologians have called this idea uh, dual causality. It means that God is at work. He is establishing his kingdom in the world, but he is using us and our efforts to do it. We are responsible to do our part, but our part is only one side of what's going on. So let's see uh, how this is explained in a more familiar passage in Philippians chapter 3. He says there, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That's the great Christian ambition, right? To know Christ Jesus and to become like him. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So here the great apostle, the great uh, leader of the church, confesses that he has not yet become like Jesus. The kingdom of God has not yet been made complete in his life. He's not yet in full conformity to the will of God. But here is that call to work hard. He says, I press on to take hold of the goal. He goes on and says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now that's a fiery kind of speech, right? The way he's kind of trying to get us uh, uh, hyped up here. And, and I, it really reminds me of the kind of pregame huddle that they do before an NFL game. You ever watch the, in the pregame, the guys after they've done their little warm-ups, they'll get together uh, and, uh, and one of the team captains will, will shout and yell and, and get the guys fired up uh, so that they will put every effort into that game. Um, so here's the picture of, uh, of one of those times, it's Drew Brees. And look at him there, he's, he's flexing, he's yelling, veins are popping out, and, he's, uh, and this, I think, is what the Apostle Paul was doing in that passage in Philippians. This is what Paul looked like, maybe not the helmet, but the rest of it, when he was preaching this. He was saying, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. He's like firing him up, let's go get him, let's, let's grow, let's be the best we can be. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> so that sounds a lot different than the parable where the seed gets scattered and then the guy just sleeps and gets up and does nothing and it grows all by itself. So here's the thing. Jesus' parable is meant to communicate a balancing truth to the idea that we must work hard to bring our lives and our churches and our communities into conformity to God's will. It's not a, a, that these two ideas are contradicting each other. It's a, it's a balancing truth. Remember I said that theologians have a phrase for this, dual causality. Our efforts to read the Bible, spend time in prayer, resist temptation join a journey group, participate in the life of the church. That's all part of what brings about spiritual growth. But only as God works in and through us. We don't make the seed grow. 
The seed has the power of growth in itself. And that is the consistent teaching of the Bible. Um, what we have here is not a, a, a real difference between what Jesus is teaching and what Paul is teaching, even in that passage in Philippians where he's giving the big uh, fiery speech. Just a few verses before that, he says, he says, he is not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness does not come from following the law. Righteousness does not come from following the rules. Where does righteousness come from? Righteousness is through faith in Jesus. And it comes from God on the basis of faith, not from our own efforts. And yet the very next thing he says is this big, fiery, hype em up speech about how we need to try hard and work hard to grow and, and become like Christ. So which is it? Do our lives become conformed to the will of God by our efforts to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead? Or do we become like Christ by putting our faith in Christ and then God works in our lives to uh, bring them into conformity to his will. Well, clearly the Bible teaches that both are true. This is the same principle that we uh, taught uh, a few months back. We had a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, here was the, the central idea of that, uh, that series. We said, uh, when we lead a life that is led by the Holy Spirit and in step with the Spirit, He produces in us character traits that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. So here's what we said uh, when we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We said the key question is just how these fruits are produced. How does our character change? Is it up to us to put in the effort to make the change? Or is this something that God does for us through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives? And there are some people who have looked at this passage about the fruit of the Spirit and said, these are fruits of the Spirit, not fruits of our efforts. And that's true. The Bible does not teach that we just need to try harder to make ourselves be better people through the strength of our own will and our own ability. We are totally dependent on God to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Our own effort will not result in the life change that is described in that passage from Galatians chapter 5. Or it won't result in bringing about conformity to the kingdom of God in our lives. On the other hand... The Bible does not teach that we are passive observers of this process. It is not as if the simple passage of time as Christians automatically makes us uh, grow toward maturity as God creates fruit in our lives. So is it our effort or is it the work of God in our lives? The Bible teaches that both are true. And clearly our parable this morning teaches one side of this truth. 
This parable is not teaching a balanced view. It's teaching one side, but it's, it's just teaching one aspect of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It grows through the mysterious power of God, <clears throat> not through our own cleverness, our own effort, or our will. We have focused mainly this morning on the idea of growth of the kingdom as it applies to our individual spiritual lives and our individual growth. But this is also true in other aspects of the kingdom. Uh, when we try to spread the kingdom of God through evangelism, uh, one of the main ways the kingdom grows is through people coming to accept the truth of the gospel message, putting their faith in Jesus and being saved from the condemnation due to them for their sins. But how does that actually happen? Is it up to us to persuade someone to trust Jesus? Do we, is, it up to, is it our responsibility to, to, to do that and, and to make it happen and to, to present the gospel in such a persuasive way and live such an exemplary life that other people are convinced by the power of our evangelistic efforts to put their faith in Jesus? No. You and I do not have the power to bring about anyone's salvation. It is not your achievement if they respond, and it is not your fault if they do not. It is the power of God working according to his purposes and his will that brings about salvation. That should protect us from pride when things seem to be going really well for us in our churches and in our families, and it should protect us from inappropriate guilt when we don't see the results that we would like. So for some of us, this is a very important and freeing truth. It's not all up to you. Jesus does not teach that he will forgive our sins and then it's up to us to reform our lives, turn away from all of our bad habits and and live perfect lives from then on. Yes, we should strive to reform our lives and to turn away from sins and live perfectly, but it is not up to us to make it happen. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, and all by itself the soil produces the grain. So now let's move on to the second parable of our pair that we're looking at today. The second one is, uh, again, in Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 30. It says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Another very short parable, uh, probably more familiar to most of us. And, uh, and again, when you read a parable like this, you have to ask yourself, okay, so what does the kingdom of God really have to do with mustard and, uh, and, and, and how a seed that starts small grows big? Well, Jesus' point in this story is that even though the kingdom of God didn't look very impressive uh, during his own time, and especially in comparison with the expectations that people had, nevertheless, it was the start 
of something huge. So you see, when Jesus said uh, earlier uh, in chapter 1, where Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, people had all kinds of expectations of what that meant. What does it mean that the time has come and and the kingdom of God is at hand? Most of them thought that Jesus would bring about a spiritual revival, and then the renewed Jewish nation would throw off the foreign occupiers, and the Messiah would then establish his new throne and capital city in Jerusalem, uh, and he would rule over a mighty, revived kingdom. And so far, it didn't look like Jesus was on that trajectory to accomplish the things that they were expecting. He seemed to be doing some on the spiritual revival part, but that seemed to be the end of it. But Jesus told this parable in order to correct the expectations that these people had. The kingdom of God had arrived, but it had arrived like a tiny mustard seed. Really small, (laughs) insignificant, barely more than nothing. Mustard seed's so tiny. But in that very tiny beginning was the start of something huge. The kingdom of God looked small, but it would become a great kingdom indeed. And that's true on several levels and in several different scales of looking at it. First, and obviously in Jesus' day, uh, there were not really that many disciples, not very many Christians. Um, Occasionally, he did have big crowds following him around, but most of those big crowds all uh, were in that kind of way. We're all going to check it out and see maybe Jesus is interesting, maybe he's not. And almost all of them decided by the end he was not. Um, they all chose not to continue, not all, many. Uh, But the church has grown, hasn't it? (laughs) From the few hundred people who were followers of Jesus in those days, now Christianity is the largest uh, religion in the world, depending on how you do your count. uh, Hundreds of millions of people have put their faith in Jesus, and there are now over a billion people on all seven continents who are claiming to be followers of Jesus. So it started out as a tiny seed, but it has grown into a giant plant. But the message of the parable is not just about how Christianity spreads. It's also um, about uh, how even though it's spread now and even today, we look here in our country, right? We have a country that has one of the strongest churches in the world. And yet we sometimes feel like we're a pretty small little group here uh, in a in a large society that is not living according to the ways of the kingdom of God, right? We're just a, a tiny little light in the darkness in a, in a great big world. But um, the conclusion of the parable with the big plant having grown up has still not yet been finally fulfilled. We're certainly a lot closer to it than when Jesus first told the story, But we still have a long way to go. But when we feel like we are small and we are insignificant, don't forget that the kingdom of God is a tiny seed and it will grow and God will triumph and his kingdom will rule once again over all of creation. And this parable has the same principles true for our individual lives as well. When we first put our faith in Jesus, it doesn't seem like anything much has happened. Still have the same bad habits, still have the same sinful tendencies, I still, still have all these same character flaws as before. 
But even if it looks like not much is going on in your life, if you have genuinely put your faith in Jesus and accepted his salvation, the seed is planted and it will grow to be a huge plant. So, be encouraged. God is at work in your life and in the world. Though we may not understand how it happens or why God takes us on the paths he does to bring about growth in our lives, God has a plan and he is working his plan, a plan for the world and a plan for your life. The seed is growing and the kingdom of God will produce a harvest of righteousness at the proper time. And so what should we do? Realize that it's not all up to you. God will work in you and through you to see his kingdom advance. And yet, we do have a responsibility to cooperate with God's work in our own lives and in the world. And so, let's do our part to help the kingdom or to be part of that dual causality to make the kingdom grow in our own lives.